Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back again to all of our listeners. I trust that you've been walking in the spirit-filled wisdom of God by allowing him to love you and equip you to love others well. Today, we're going to venture into James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and consider a little bit more about what worldly religion looks like. Recently, we've journeyed through the partnership of faith and works, considering the power of the tongue as it relates to speaking and teaching the truth of God concerning what saving faith is. Specifically, the relationship between faith and works is simply that since we are saved by Christ, it doesn't make sense that we wouldn't be like him. James uses God's testing of Abraham's faith, remember, by asking him to offer up his son Isaac. God wanted further action from his faith. James is saying that since you believe that you are saved by Christ, we should show evidence of this. May I also quickly remind us that the central concern of James's letter as a whole is true religion and worship by loving others through being like Christ. We're going to consider more of that today. That Christ-like love demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ and remember responding to God in true faith through right belief produces right actions that are not like the world. We've considered how James helps his readers love by addressing their greed and materialism, anger, ungodly speech, and even discrimination against others. Like us today, they simply struggled to love one another in Christ and in accurate truth. So let's again dive into today's text. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 says, Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and you fight and you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, so you can spend it on your own passions. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think the scripture means nothing when it says, The spirit that God caused to live within us has an envious yearning? But he gives greater grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James continues his contrast of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. In other words, the fruit of godliness versus the fruit of the flesh, remember. In this section, James is very clear with his audience that the source of their problem is from them giving in and carrying out the desires of their own flesh. He calls them inward passions that battle inside of them, and that the result of this are problems that are occurring externally between them. The text uses three different words for this fighting that is translated into the NET, the New English translation, as the following, conflicts, quarrels, and fights. All of these words have to do with the idea of going to war. In fact, each of these words have the idea of active strife, hand-to-hand -hand combat even, where there is close fighting happening between sworn enemies. It's active. It's intentional, it's harmful, 
and it's personal. When nations or people go to war, they are fighting each other as enemies. War occurs for many different reasons, disagreements, misunderstanding, one people protecting something, one side wants something the other side has, or simply because there is offense taken. James here indicates that the reason for their warring is simply because of another battle going on inside of them that they're losing. It's simply the temptation of selfishness and self-centeredness. This internal battle is a spiritual battle that is being fought and lost inside of their hearts and then comes out in the form of external behavior, words, and poor treatment of others. It seems in the text that the primary trigger of this war raging within them seems to be simply identified as envy in chapter 4 verse 2. Envy in the text literally means to burn with zeal on the intent of pursuit. In their context, I think the appropriate application is really covetousness. Their intense pursuit of anger and hatred that is burning within them by comparing, judging, and attacking one another. Their desires physically seem to be of wanting and then scheming to try and get what one desires through comparing and wanting what someone else simply has. Likely, it's materialism and possession of those things, along with privilege. This seems to fit the context of the book as well as the immediate text. Maybe revenge, maybe retaliation and manipulation. Maybe it's many of these types of things. James uses two very strong indictments against them due to their envy and coveting. This is consistent with their problem with a love for wealth. Envy and covetousness nearly always is accompanied by a love for wealth or status. These indictments are that they are murderers and adulterers, that they have killed their brother and sister, so to speak, at the expense of their own desires, and they've committed adultery and turning away from God and worshiping something else like materialism. It's possible that he is being literal here about being murderers and adulterers, but it doesn't really fit the text as to what he has identified throughout the letter as the type of issues they're having. It seems to be the less literal meaning of the act of murder and adultery in a physical sense and more of the internal act of murder and adultery that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5, remember, through motives and intent. As we've already put forth in our series, the great context of Matthew 5 is centered on addressing the kind of kingdom people that Jesus describes will be in his kingdom, sons of God who are salt and light that they are people who reflect his character and walk by his spirit. In Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to an older generation, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to fiery hell. Regarding the issue of anger and murder, John perpetuates the very same view in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Regarding adultery, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, You have heard that it is said, Do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In both instances, in Matthew 5, Jesus centers his definition on the motives of the heart, particularly that sin occurs in one's mind and heart through their motivation, desire, 
before it ever manifests itself in physical form. This is the kind of approach James is using with his readers. He's challenging their hearts. It is the sin of greed, anger, discrimination, and now envy that is happening in their hearts and then pouring out in their actions. This behavior is reflective and in the likeness of the world. As a result, he warns them that friendship with the world is directly oppositional towards God. You can't have both. You can't love the world and love God. His statement in this section of this letter is very forceful because he says that if you behave in a manner like the world, then you have automatically become an enemy of God, particularly one who claims godliness and actually actively lives in ungodliness is diametrically against God because that's not who he is. However, the greater point of James here is that he is more concerned with worldliness, being like the world, looking like people who aren't saved, having values that are opposed to God and what he has commanded. People can look at their lives and see if they look like those around them who are of the world. And if they look like them, they are worldly. This is precisely the argument of James that he has made throughout his letter. As we think about the weight of this point, let's consider what it means to be hostile in mind and rebellion against God. In John 8 verse 44, Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, and 1 Peter 5 through 9, Satan is positioned as the ruler of this world. Generally, the concept of the world between Genesis 3 and Revelation 12 always represents sin, rebellion, judgment, darkness, and death in the biblical story. Satan is the poster child for enmity against God. He's the standard of worldliness. The world is his domain. Concerning mankind, Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. In Colossians 1 verses 21, it says, And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds as expressed through your evil deeds. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy. Romans 1 contains a thorough description of people who are enemies of God, who have simply seen the truth of God and rejected him. Ephesians 2 describes that before Christ we were dead in our sin, following the ways of the world, following Satan as he worked in us as sons of disobedience, and by nature we were children of wrath. The point in all of this is that James is pinning the contrast of life led by the flesh as enemies of God versus a life led by the Spirit redeemed as God's children who are like him now. They image bear him. Their thinking and actions are more in line with the domain of darkness and what the evil one has done than of God in terms of what he's talking about in the text. James is challenging the notion that they simply cannot stay the way that they are. They're either enemies of God in the world following Satan, or they are children of God living for the heart and priorities of Christ. Most importantly, however, he calls them to resist Satan, to turn away from the very nature and actions that depict Satan's world and turn to goodness and truth that reflect God. This seems to be an indication that they have the authority of Christ as the followers of Christ to resist Satan due to the fact that the only one who has domain over Satan is Christ. He is the only one that has authority over the judgment against him. 
Consequently, it seems to me that James is pleading with them to repent. James 4 verses 8 through 10 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He calls them to lament and weep of their sin. This sin that is the opposite of who God is and what he does. He calls them as children of God to repent and turn away from their thinking and accept God's now that James has plainly taught them the truth and corrected their wrong things. However, he indicates that pride will be the thing that will keep them from repenting and turning away from their wickedness and experiencing the freedom of Christ to love others. In fact, humility is the key to their friendship with God and response to their sin. Pride is the rejection of God's wisdom, as we've talked about. Humility is the acceptance of God's wisdom, righteousness, and God's way. So the implication of judging another person, especially a believer, is A, taking the place of God and counting yourself worthy to judge, and B, judging believers and taking someone who God has declared righteous and dishonoring them. A lot of us don't see issues with judging other believers because they are supposed to be righteous. But God doesn't want us to judge because only He can. And there is a place for loving correction, but it has to be done without judgment. Only God can righteously and accurately judge anyone. Let me close this session by sharing a few passages on how God interacts with the humble and the proud, and may we respect His character and nature. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, Though the Lord is exalted, He looks after the lowly, and from far away humbles the proud. Proverbs 3 verse 34 says, With arrogant scoffers he is scornful, yet he shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, A person's pride will bring him low, but one who has a lowly spirit will gain honor. Matthew 23 verse 12 says, And whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 1 verses 52 says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up those of lowly position. And lastly, 1 Peter 5 verses 5 through 7 says, In the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders, and all of you close yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.